This is a Faith FM podcast. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Hello there, and thanks for joining me once again on The Faith Experiment, right here on Faith FM, right across Australia, or on a podcasting platform, wherever you are listening to me. Welcome to today's episode. This is episode number 53 of The Faith Experiment, and I'm calling this episode Tutankhamun's Failure. Now, if you have missed any of my previous episodes, where we've been delving into this little mini-series, looking at hope, future, and what these ancient manuscripts teach about life and what we can get out of it today, then you need to go catch up. You can catch up on the Faith FM app, you can catch up on the Faith FM website, or on any good podcasting platform just by searching for The Faith Experiment Podcast. Well, I'm so glad that you're joining me for this really interesting topic, Tutankhamun's Failure. We'll be uh, delving into the next part of this little mini-series. We've looked at the ancient manuscripts of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which we would call today the Old Testament. We have looked at their historical accuracy and found that the details that the Bible talks about in historical terms, although disputed for many, many decades, if not centuries, eventually archaeology catches up and shows that the Bible historical record is in fact accurate. Then we've looked at the prophetic accuracy of the predictive elements of the Old Testament manuscripts, and we examine some of those prophecies from the book of Daniel that talks about events that would happen thousands or centuries, but in some cases thousands of years before they happened, and they fulfilled exactly as these ancient prophecies predicted, making it extremely likely to have a supernatural element. And then we explored in our last episode in this little mini-series the curse of the forbidden prophecy where we found that the ancient manuscripts of the Old Testament, particularly the book of Daniel, pinpointed through prophetic vision the arrival of the Messiah. Today we call him Jesus Christ. Now, on this episode, we'll be looking at Tutankhamun's failure. What was his failure? Well, stick around. We're going to delve into that in just a second. But once again, on this episode, I have a fantastic giveaway. It's a resource that is something that you probably want to get into your library. You probably want to have a good read of it. And then once you've read it, share it with your friends. It is a book called The Man of Peace. And uh, in the last episode, we talked about Jesus being the fulfillment of the Messianic prophecies. And uh, the New Testament describes him as a man of peace. And so if you'd like to get today's free resource, this wonderful book, you want to stick around. I'm going to give you a code word at the end of this episode that all you have to do is text it to the Faith Experiment number. That's 04-888-45311. So save the number in your phone now. That's 4 Triple eight four five three double one, and just hang out until I reveal today's code word. Then you want to text it in, nothing else, just the code word, and we will get this great book, Man of Peace, sent out to you for your enjoyment. All right, so let's get into today's topic, Tutankhamun's failure. The ancient Egyptians seemed to be obsessed 
with the idea of living forever or the idea of eternity. And for the ancient Egyptians, there was a number of ingredients that you needed to live for eternity. The first was you needed to have a body, and the body was necessary for the soul to return to each night. That's what they believed. And that's why they mummified the bodies. They eventually perfected the art of mummification to preserve the bodies for the afterlife. The second ingredient that Tutankhamun and the Egyptians thought they needed to have eternal life was a tomb. And you needed the tomb to protect the body, which is why there were pyramids. These great construction projects were developed to protect the body because you needed a body for the soul to return to each and every night. And the third ingredient that you needed for eternity, according to an Egyptian, was a heart. And you needed the heart, and it had to be left in the body because the heart was the object which was held up in judgment. And the fourth ingredient you needed for eternity was a name. You had to have an identity. The name of the person was needed to be somewhere in the tomb or on the coffin because you didn't want someone else's soul to come into the wrong body. And this is why they invented a thing called a katouche. Now, a katouche was a basically an oval carving into the walls of the tombs or to the coffins. And it's basically what we would call today as a signature. It was unique to the individual, and it was generally associated with tombs. And the last and final ingredient that Egyptians believed they needed to enjoy eternity was things, things to enjoy in the afterlife, which is what the treasure of Pharaoh and Tutankhamun was all about. Now, if you go to a place called the Valley of the Kings in Luxor, which is in Egypt, in 1922, Howard Carter discovered the tomb of Tutankhamun, a 19-year-old pharaoh. It was filled with over 3,000 objects, many made of pure gold, including a number of beds. There must be a lot of sleeping in the next life. That's why they were keeping the beds. Um, there were a lot of life-size statues of guards to protect them in the afterlife. There was a royal chariot. There was a king's throne. And there was a large chest inside the tomb that when they opened it up, it had an alabaster chest inside of that, which had four jars with lids in various shapes of the king's heads. And then inside of that, each one had a solid little gold coffin. And inside each of the coffin were the king's organs. It had his kidneys, it had his liver and, and whatnot. And then this was all placed inside a burial chamber where there was a huge box the size of basically a carport and inside that were three more boxes, one box inside the other box. And inside the last of these large boxes was a yellow um, like quartz esophagus. And inside that were three coffins. One was shaped, all, well, they were all shaped in the form of the king's body. And the first two were made with wood and overlaid with gold leaf. And the last one was solid gold. And it was inside that that there was the mummified body of the king. And he had the famous uh, funeral mask over his face, which if you think of Tutankhamun, you think of that solid gold uh, funeral mask. But it wasn't just the Egyptians that were trying to have a way to live forever and have such elaborate burial customs. If you go to China, where I've spent a bit of time uh, living and working and researching, there was an emperor 
who lived around about 250 BC. And he also had elaborate beliefs and burial practices for the afterlife. And with him, there were more than 800 terracotta warriors, horses and chariots all buried with him for the afterlife. And not one of them was the same. They're all uniquely modeled. Then if you go to Ur or into modern day Iraq or Mesopotamia, Selenon Woolley discovered the famous death pits where the living were buried with the dead so they could be joined into the afterlife. Now, of course, from our standpoint, Tutankhamun's elaborate pyramids and burial chambers and all of the furniture and all the organs and all the mummification, all that process which was put in place to ensure that he had an eternal life and lived forever was kind of a bit of a failure. Uh, today, most of the treasure has been looted. Uh, his mummy, his body is in a uh, in a museum, and everything has been uh, removed. But it's not just his civilization, as we've seen, the Chinese and the uh, Babylonians. Many people have tried, and many generations and civilizations have tried to solve the problem of death. And it's not just them. In our time, we are coming up with all sorts of crazy ideas on how we can escape dying, whether it's the mixing of humans with machines or whether it's with cryogenics being frozen at death and hopefully hopefully being uh, reanimated at some point in the future when technology increases. The question has to be asked, why all the trouble? Why is there an obsession with humans and living forever? Well, I'd like to suggest that in the ancient manuscripts, in a scroll called the Scroll of Ecclesiastes, you can find it in your English Bible today, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1, this is what the Bible says. It says, God has put eternity into their hearts. It's like all of us have this inbuilt feeling and sensation that we want to live forever. We want to be forever young. But the question is, how? Well, if we look at the Egyptian belief, it's fragile at best. Think about this for a moment. After death, the mummies are missing and the treasure and things for the afterlife are gone. What is the answer? Is there an answer for eternal life? Well, Sunday take a short break. Now, when we come back, we will continue to explore Tutankhamun's failure in his quest for eternal life. And what do the ancient manuscripts of the Bible teach about how to have eternal life? And coming up is the co-word for today's great giveaway, the book titled The Man of Peace. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 4 That's 4 Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au. Watch the house fall right before our eyes. We have seen countless children die. We have wept tears at the end of dreams. No one is free here from suffering. The life we gain through Christ cannot be taken 
The Faith Experiment with Robbie Birkin. Right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Listen live or listen later. Get the Faith FM app from your app store today. Welcome back to The Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen, and you're listening to episode 53 of The Faith Experiment. This episode's called Tutankhamun's Failure. Now, this is a continuation of our little series we're doing here in the Faith Experiment, exploring the ancient manuscripts that we call the Dead Sea Scrolls or the uh, Old Testament of the Bible. In fact, the Bible in its entirety. And we are looking at questions of what does this book actually teach about the future? Is it trustworthy? Is it historically accurate? And what does it actually have for us about our lives today? On this episode, we started by looking at what ancient civilizations, particularly the Egyptians, looked about this idea and thought about this idea of eternity or eternal life. 
And we found that the Egyptians have a very sophisticated belief system on how they can live for eternity. And it centers around their bodies being preserved, hence the development of the mummification process. We found that they needed a place to protect the body, which was why they built pyramids. We also looked at why they had the heart removed, but yet still stored with the body because they believed they needed that for judgment. And then we also seen how that the Egyptians believed that they needed treasure for the afterlife. And that's why there's always treasures inside of these pyramids. But as we uh, sort of concluded before the break, the Egyptian belief system was very, very fragile at best because think about it today. The mummies are all missing from the tomb, so the bodies are gone, so there's no bodies for the souls to return to. And most of the pyramid's uh, contents has been either stolen, moved to uh, museums. And so the treasures and the things have, for the afterlife, have been lost. And then we talked about how other civilizations like the ancient Chinese or the Mesopotamians, but even today, modern man is trying to find ways to beat death and to live forever. They're exploring uh, becoming cyborg, which is the mixture of machine and uh, human, and then also cryogenics, which is the way to maybe freeze and preserve our bodies until technology is sufficient that we can reanimate ourselves back from the dead. And then right before the break, we looked at that passage from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, where it says that God has put eternity in our hearts. There's something about living forever, living forever young, that every human being at some point desires and thinks about as their mortality becomes more and more evident. Now, in this section, we want to jump into one of my favorite books of the biblical manuscripts, and that's the book of Revelation. And in this book, we find another way, a biblical way, of how to secure eternal life. And so if you have a big picture view of the book of Revelation, there are uh, scenes of Earth's final events, to summarize it sort of briefly. And we've seen already that in this book of Revelation, there are three main characters or anti-characters to God. There's the dragon, there's a sea beast and a land beast. We talk about that when we talk about the financial crisis and digital currencies. And it's these three powers that are seeking for a global uh, control, a one-world order, right before the closing scenes of the book of Revelation. But it's in the midst of this book, Revelation, that we're introduced to these three angels. And these three angels are symbolic of carrying a message that go throughout the heavens to counter these three powers that we talked about in previous episodes. And the message of these three angels is um, is basically God's final message for humanity. And I want you to notice with me the contents of the first message that God is claiming in the book of Revelation to be sending to humanity right before the final events. This is found in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 and verse 7. And this is what it says. It says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And then it goes on in verse 7 and says, Saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of waters. Now the question is, what's the urgency? 
We've got a picture of angels flying quickly. It's going to every person and people group and language group on the planet. And the message is centering around the hour of judgment has come. Here's why we have urgency. Now, if you remember the, the ancient Egyptians, they believed that the heart of the Pharaoh had to be preserved and put back into the body so that he could face judgment right before the afterlife. And in Revelation, we have a picture that judgment is looming. It's pending before the end of this book is finished. Now, remember uh, earlier on in our exploration of the Old Testament in the book of Daniel, we saw that Daniel predicted, and he claims it comes from God, not himself, but he predicts that there will be a last empire that was about to come and would execute judgment upon the whole world. And in that last empire, he saw that there'd be no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, and no more death. And so the question really in the context of Revelation is, how can we live in this last empire forever? And so Revelation comes back with this this message, this first angel's message, and says, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, and then it says, having the everlasting gospel to preach to the whole world. So even though the message is about judgment, it's summarized as the gospel, the everlasting gospel. And the word gospel, for many of you, you probably know this, but the word gospel in Greek literally translates into English as good news. So what's the good news that judgment has come. Why is that such good news? Well, the short answer is, is because it has something to do with God's way of living forever. For example, in the New Testament manuscript of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, it says, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So Revelation saying the last message to go to all the world is to tell everyone that the gospel, the eternal gospel, the everlasting gospel, which is good news, it's going to the whole world. And that's summarized in this idea that judgment has come. Why? What's the so good about this judgment is coming? Well, something about that is connected to that Jesus has brought life and immortality through this gospel. Now, this reminds me of a place in Palestine, an Arab city called Nablus. And Nablus is very famous for a well. It's believed to be the well where Jesus had a conversation with a Samaritan woman in the Gospel of John chapter 4. And I want you to notice what Jesus said to this woman as he talked with her. He said, Whoever drinks of the water that's in this well will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. Jesus was offering to this woman at this well, he was offering eternal life in his last empire that had no tears, no pain, no sorrow, and no death. But notice her response. Her response was, sir, give me this water. But what's fascinating in this story is that even though she wanted this water of eternal life, she clearly wasn't yet ready for it because of Jesus' response. You see, Jesus saw that she needed to first understand that she suffered from humanity's massive problem. And the problem is, is that all of us are sinners. Even the Egyptians understood that judgment was important to figure out whether you were good enough. But our problem as humans are with these biblical manuscripts to be our guide is that we have all sinned, we have all done wrong. 
You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and verse 23, it says, There is none righteous, no, not one, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And sin brings eternal death. That's the big problem with sin. Because the Bible goes on in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, The wages of sin is death, and that's eternal death. It's the separation from God. But then it says in the last part of verse 23 of Romans 6, it says, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so the problem is, is that whether you're an ancient Egyptian, an ancient Chinese, or an ancient Samaritan woman sitting at a well, or just a person tuning in to Faith FM, we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of that, the consequences for that, is eternal death. And so in each one of us, there is a desire to live forever, to experience eternity, forever young. And no matter what we think might be the solution to that problem, according to the ancient manuscripts of the biblical text, the solution is one. And it's not a thing, it's a person. The solution is the person of Jesus. And something about that is good news, a message that will go to the whole world. We're going to take a short break now. When we come back, we'll jump straight back into what is this gospel and why is it good news? And don't forget to stick around for today's code word to get this great book, The Man of Peace. We'll be right back after this on The Faith Experiment. The Faith Experiment is made possible because of people like you. If you enjoy what we are doing, please consider supporting us by making a donation on our website at faithfm.com.au slash donate.
heart Through the cross you've been forgiven You're accepted as you are And bring it all to the table There's nothing Listening to the Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to the Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen, and you're listening to episode 53 of the Faith Experiment called Tutankhamun's Failure. And on this episode, we are looking at this quest of living forever. Every single civilization, every single person has thought about the idea of their mortality and basically have said, not really excited about dying. And so it's different civilizations, the ancient Egyptians, the Chinese, the Mesopotamians, all had a intricate solution in their mind of how they could escape death and live forever, whether it was burial rituals, body organs being preserved, or treasures being stored up for the afterlife. And yet we have seen that every one of these ideas, obviously pretty fragile, because today the tombs have been raided, the treasures are stolen and missing, and the bodies are in museums. And so all of the premises that these different ideas had about living forever have been lost to eternity. And so the question is, is there a solution in the biblical manuscripts of living forever? What's eternal life look like? We look before the break at those three cosmic messages going to all the world right before the final events depicted in the book of Revelation. And there is a particular message known as the first angel's message, which said that there is a, a good news message, a gospel message going to all the world. And at the center of it is the idea that judgment has come. And so we want to explore this idea, what is this gospel all about? What is this good news of this first angel? And why should we even 
care about him. Well, firstly, the good news, the gospel, the reason why it's good news is because it's the gospel, the good news of God, because it reveals God's love for all people. I'm sure the most famous verse in all of Scripture is John chapter 3, verse 16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his Son for it. God loves people. Despite what you've heard, despite what you feel, God loves people. And love found a way to bring us eternal life. The second thing that's good about the gospel is that it's the good news of Jesus Christ because hope is through him. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, it says, In this the love of God was revealed towards us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Emmanuel, which is another name for Jesus, is God with us. God wants to live with us through the person of Jesus. But the other aspect to this Jesus being good news is a very strange word. It's the word propitiation. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, it says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for us. But the question is, what is propitiation? It's a kind of a strange word. Nobody really uses that word these days. But the best way to illustrate it is if you went to Petra. Petra is in the country of Jordan, near the Dead Sea. And if you make your way through a dry riverbed called Wandai, you will come through these narrow cliffs. On either side, they go up um, tens and tens of meters. And when you finally get through these cliffs, you arrive at a very narrow ending that opens up. And before you, in front of you, you'll see buildings carved into the rock faces. They're very, very famous. you probably seen them in movies and various documentaries. But these buildings were places of worship. They were tombs. They were the treasuries. They were all sorts of different purposes and functions. But there's one particular place in the Valley of Petra that's most interesting of all. You see, there is a narrow staircase that leads up to one of the highest places that's been preserved for sun worship in the world. And when you climb up the uh, the long, hot climb, and you finally get to the top, you'll find that at the, at the plateau in the solid rock, they've carved in wash basins to, to cleanse people and hands and priests. But you also find a range of altars on top of these rocks in the Valley of Petra. But many believe that the sacrifices performed here were that of children, They would have been offered in the early hours as the sun rose as a sacrifice to the sun. And there's also these engraved round, they call them heart receptacles. It's basically this this round circle carved into the rock that they would place the beating heart in and allow the blood to be drained out of it. Absolutely haunting imagery uh, if you visit that part of the world. But the people of Petra were not the only ones that went to such great lengths of human sacrificing in order to appease the gods. Uh, in the Mayans in Mexico, we, they also uh, have evidence of practiced human sacrifice. And many other Indian groups in South America practiced it. You can find the Aztecs have got evidence of human sacrifice. 
In fact, one record says that in four days, a record 84,000 people were sacrificed. Some think it might be a bit of exaggeration, but even if it was one, that is a horrific price to be paid. In Peru, there's evidence of human sacrifice. And what is the purpose of this human sacrifice? Well, it's basically human propitiation. It was to sacrifice to appease an angry God, to remove sin, and to reconcile two parties. This is the reason why, for some reason, humans decided, hey, if we kill another human and give that to the gods, then surely the gods will no longer be angry, surely they will forgive our sins, and it will reconcile us together. Now, the amazing thing is that in the biblical use of the word propitiation, it's used to describe that God bought a sacrifice. He didn't expect us to have the sacrifice. God himself was the sacrifice, not expecting us to be the sacrifice. And it was God that reconciled with us, not us reconciling with him. And so Jesus in the biblical text is the only valid human sacrifice because he himself was offering himself as God for the purpose of reconciling us to him. Truly a remarkable picture when you see it in contrast to the pagan religions of the world and their concept of this word propitiation. So the gospel, the good news then, is that Jesus himself is the solution to the problem of our sin. And this is why the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 63, verse 9, it says, And in his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, referring to those who have gone astray, referring to us. Now, all of this is at the cost of the death of God in human flesh. You see, God values us more than his own life. You see, sin leads to death. We've seen that. And righteousness leads to eternal life. But the problem is, is that because we have sinned, death has reigned through humanity. But because of Christ living sinlessly, Righteousness can lead to eternal life. So in the death of Jesus, or at the cross of Calvary, there is a great exchange that takes place. We're told that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that he was made who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. At Calvary, the great exchange was our sins taken by him caused his death and his righteousness is counted to us as giving eternal life. But the question is, what do you have to do to receive this gift of eternal life? Time to take a short break now. We come back. We're going to dig straight back into that question. And stick around. The code word is coming up for this amazing book, The Man of Peace. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Faith Experiment, please help us get the word out by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. Every time I try to make it on my Every time I try to stand and start to fall and all those lonely roads that I traveled on, there was Jesus. When the life I built came crashing to the ground, 
The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to The Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen, and this is episode number 53 of The Faith Experiment. I'm calling this episode Tutankhamun's Failure, and coming up very shortly is the giveaway code for today's amazing book, The Man of Peace. Tutankhamun's Failure, we have looked at ancient religions of the Egyptians, of the ancient Chinese and of the Mesopotamians and various other uh, Aztec-based religions, and we have found that there is a quest to live forever, to escape the mortality that we know is imminent. And we found that different solutions were things around death and how to try and live in the afterlife. And yet, when we look today, Tutankhamun's attempts to live forever have ended in failure. His body has been removed from the temple, so according to their belief, the soul doesn't know where to go. His riches have been 
either stolen, sold, or plundered, and the place of his burial is no longer secure. So everything that he was hoping would be the foundation of living forever has proved to be futile. But then we have looked at the biblical teaching of eternity and found that in the book Revelation, right before the closing scenes of that book, there are three cosmic messages going to all the world to counter the influence of this global new world order that will come together through these three powers, the dragon, the sea beast, and the land beast, representing these unique aspects of political and religious power and economic power all working together. And we have seen that as these three angels' messages counter that, the first one is presented as urgent, going to all the world in an urgent fashion. And at the center of that message is the idea that judgment has come, the very thing the Egyptians were were uh, very mindful of, that to enter into eternity there needed to be judgment before you could take that step. And so in, in Revelation, the hour of judgment has come, but it's in the framework of this language around the gospel. It's everlasting or eternal gospel message that goes to all the world. And we looked before the break how the word gospel means good news, and that good news, according to the Apostle Paul, is the person of Jesus. Jesus is good news. Why? Because he has done something that no other person was able to or will be able to, and that is he could be a propitiation for our sins, which we saw before the break is the way that the difference between God and man, the the issue between us is resolved, appeased, and reconciled. And we saw how in other civilizations, human sacrifice was used to try and appease the anger of the gods and would somehow deal with the sin of the people or the nation and bring a reconciliation between the gods and humans. But in the person of Jesus, Jesus himself, who is God, gives himself as the sacrifice, and he is the one that comes and creates reconciliation. So the whole propitiation in the biblical manuscripts is God acting, not us acting, which is a complete upside down on the pagan religions of the world. And so we left with this thought this question, we're on a faith experiment here. How do we put this into practice? How do we experiment with this good news that Jesus somehow has the the mechanism, he has the means to do this great exchange with us so that we have the ability to have eternity with him? Well, we're going to look at a couple of points according to these manuscripts on what is our part to experiment with. The first part is that in this uh, eternity, this quest for eternity, the very first part that we're told we have to experiment with, we have to put into practice, is we need to believe in Christ. We have to put our trust into Christ. Here's what the Bible says, familiar text, I'm sure. It says, whoever believes in, which really means to accept him, referring to Jesus, should not perish but have everlasting life you will absolutely have everlasting life, according to this manuscript, if you believe and put your trust in the person of Jesus because he claims to be the God-man who has brought propitiation between you and God. Let me illustrate it this way. 
If you've ever flown on a plane, you know what it is to trust or to, to believe in something. You've put your trust in the pilot up the front. You've never seen the pilot. You've never talked to the pilot. You don't know anything about the pilot. But the pilot says that he can fly you in this plane. And so you put your trust into him. And we do that every single day. You know, it reminds me of that old story about the great Bolden, the tightrope walker who held all those Guinness World Record book records. Apparently, he uh, crossed across Niagara Falls on a tightrope one day, and everybody cheered, and they said, Great Bolden, the Great Bolden. And he said, Do you think I could carry a man on my shoulders across this tightrope? And they all shouted, No problem, Bolden, you can do it. They cheered. And then he said, Which one of you want to hop on my shoulders? And guess what? Not one person moved. See, they all believed he could do something, but they didn't put any trust into him. They didn't experiment with their faith in him. And that's how we are today. Many of us, we believe that Jesus came and died for their sins, but we don't actually put our faith into him. We don't actually believe in him doing it for us personally. So in our side of this faith experiment and accepting this gift of eternal life, we have to first believe that Jesus is able to save us. He's able to give us eternal life. The second thing that we're invited to do in these ancient manuscripts is to, it says, repent of our sins. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says that Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he says, repent and believe this good news. Now, the word repent is really, really simple. It just means to change your mind and to turn around and go in a different direction. And in the context, it's a direction away from the wrong direction you're going in, which is sin. So turn around and go the other direction from sin. Because you believe that Jesus has the power to save you and give you eternal life, then you believe that he has the power to help you live that new life. That's what repenting is all about. And so in this faith experiment, there are two things that we're invited to practice in, to experiment in. One is to believe Believe that Jesus is the God-man who came to pay the price, the propitiation for our sin. To pay the propitiation to bring a reconciliation between God and man. That's the first part. We need to believe that. We need to experiment with that. And the second thing is we need to repent. Let me illustrate it this way. Imagine you're being rescued at sea. And you're holding onto a piece of wood, keeping afloat there in the water. And the lifeguard comes and throws you a lifeline to save you. In order for you to be saved, you have to let go of that wood and take hold to the life boy. Letting go of that wood is repentance. And believing that that life boy is your lifeline is your belief. In Jesus. Friend, I don't know where you are in your faith experiment. I don't know what the challenges you're facing. I don't know what your fears are about the future. But I can tell you right now that I have put my faith into this Jesus. I've been experimenting with faith in this Jesus, in these manuscripts, for nearly 20 years. And so far, every single test. Every single experiment has proven to be remarkably accurate. So, friends, why don't you try 
and put your faith in Jesus. If you don't know where to start, stick around on the Faith Experiment. We're going to pick this up in the upcoming episodes. But I want to help you to understand how simple a belief in God, in Jesus, and salvation, it really is. Religion's made it complicated. It doesn't have to be for you. So wherever you are right now, all you have to do is ask out to God, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Well, as I said at the top of the show, I have a great giveaway to give you. It is this book called The Man of Peace. It's all about the person of Jesus. And you don't want to miss getting this book. It is a fantastic read. I have had this book in my library for nearly 15 years. And you absolutely are going to enjoy the simplicity of learning faith from the life and teachings of Jesus. Now, to get this book, you need to take out your phone right now. You're going to text the code word hash F-E-5. That's the hash symbol, followed by the letter F-E for Faith Experiment and the number 53 for episode 53. That's hash F-E 53. Text that to 04-888-45311. That's 04-888-45311. Text the code word hash F-E 53. The Faith of Bot will ask you for some details and we'll get this book out to you as soon as possible. Well, that's all we have time for today on The Faith Experiment. I'll see you next week at the same time to continue our little mini-series here looking at these ancient manuscripts. I'll see you then. You have been listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 04888 453811. That's 04888 453811. Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au and let us know what you thought of this episode. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Faith Experiment, please help us get the word out by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. Hey, guess what? Robbie here. This is a bonus. The Faith Experiment is going to be going live. Not on radio, but in person. Check out faithfm.com.au slash events to see where I'll be visiting next. I'll be visiting towns and cities right across Australia presenting The Faith Experiment in person. So if you'd like to join me, come say hello, or just dig deeper into these amazing manuscripts and put some faith into experimentation, check out faithfm.com.au slash events and see where I'll be visiting next.